0: Good morning. morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Well, let's start this affair off with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you do in our lives. Father, we especially thank you for allowing us here this morning. Please, Father, help us this morning uh, worship you and let this worship be pleasing to your ears, Father. We love you, praise you, and thank you. It's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Today we're going to start out with uh, Psalms 22 We're going to read uh, 22 through the end of the chapter, so if everybody wants to turn there, if you want to. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All your descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the afflictions of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pray my vow before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied satisfied those who seek him will praise the lord let your heart live forever all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for the kingdom of the lord for the kingdom is the lord's and he rules over the nations all the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship all those who go down to the dust shall bow before him even he who cannot keep himself alive. A a posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to the people who will be born that he has done this.
1: Father, thank you that the glory that you had in the beginning was the glory that you possessed just concealed in a a tent of flesh that you were the word became flesh that you dwelt among us and that we beheld your glory glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth by knowing you and having a peace relationship with you through jesus christ the son we can come to you and we can Sing these praises with a heart full of joy, despite the circumstances that surround us as we walk in this world, God, and as we see the chaos, we see the consumerism that is so prevalent during this time of year. Father, if we're to be consumers, let us be consumers of your word today, consumers of your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> Well, if you will, open your Bibles with me, and let's go to Philippians chapter 4, and I'll be reading verses 10 through 13. Ray and his teaching brought us up to this point last week, and we will continue with these four verses this morning. It's interesting, as we had sung this last song of worship, uh, how Paul would begin these verses for us this morning. and hunger abundance and need i can do all things through him who strengthens me and phil would you lead us in another word of prayer please amen thank you so we are nearing the end of paul's letter to the church in philippi and central to this letter we have seen this theme of joy that has surfaced really from the beginning all the way and continuing through the end i remember back when we had the introduction of this i should have went back to my notes there to see how many times paul either says the word joy or uses the word rejoice, as he does here in our text this morning. Paul could have looked at his afflictions, he could have looked at his sufferings, this letter being written from a a prison cell, in a sense, and he could have been overcome by these things. This letter could have been written from a place of great sorrow. It could have been written from the emotion of anger and wondering why, with all the confusion surrounding it, but we don't see that. In Paul's letter here, if anyone had occasion for complaining about their circumstances, it would have been Paul. But rather than sinking under the weight of physical burdens, we see God's supernatural joy just rising up in Paul. Paul would say, I rejoice greatly. That is a supernatural source of joy. To be able to say that I rejoice, to be able to say that I possess joy... In these miserable circumstances that he finds himself in, the physical oppression that he was under, for the joy to rise up with him, it has to be enabled by something that is supernatural. And we know that it is the Holy Spirit that indwells Paul. That is the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit that indwells each and every one of us who are called a child of God, who are called unto him in salvation, that He indwells us, that He enables and empowers this kind of joy within us. We see this uh, very evident in the disciples as they went into the early out, spreading the gospel, and we see the budding church in the Gospel of Acts. We also see great persecution come upon the the followers of Jesus Christ, and at this point in the letter, Paul hasn't really become the main. Uh, character in our our story there. It's mainly Peter here, but we see the disciples even after having endured great persecution. It would say this about them in Acts thirteen fifty two. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You see the intertwining, the link there between having joy and also being filled with the Holy Spirit. And being upheld in that through those circumstances that they were facing and enduring. And they could do it with great joy. And so Paul also was able to say, I rejoiced. And notice he connects that rejoicing to the relationship. He doesn't just rejoice and then leave it at that and saying, I rejoice greatly, but I rejoice in the Lord. Paul connects it for us by saying, in the Lord. That joy is the condition of the heart for one who has a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. It's had by a changed life. He comes, he regenerates us. It's not a change of circumstance that we see here for Paul. It's an inner state of being. His rejoicing here is in that they have revived their concern for him. So he was able to look at this through this rejoicing spirit, this inner state of being within that he had in the Lord, and he was able to view this gift that the believers in Philippi had brought to him. That now at length you have revived your concern for me. And it is said here, and we can find it later on in this passage, that help has arrived from the church of Philippi in the form of, of a material blessing for Paul. In fact, if you read down just a little bit further into this text in verse 18 he says I have received full payment and more I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus gifts you sent a fragrant offering a sacrifice a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God so we know that there is a material blessing that has come to Paul in the form of I don't know maybe that's clothing articles maybe they're bring in a warm jacket or a blanket, but it also may be coming in the form of a financial contribution. And Paul is saying, viewing this through this rejoicing spirit that I have in the Lord, now at length I see you have revived your concern for me. They have finally been able to send through Aphroditus a gift to him. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul isn't saying that, you know, you're, your care for me had somehow let up just because you weren't sending gifts to me. But now they had an opportunity to show that for, for him. And he was rejoicing that they were able to express their love in, in this way. And Paul was able to rejoice in a sense, rejoicing with them that thou, they were able to really express that concern Because they had been provided an opportunity to show that in a physical way. He notes that they were always caring for him. They were full of care. But now they had the opportunity. One commentator says, Good works are love meeting opportunity. That we can express our love for one another, and not just with words, but we can do so sometimes in actionable ways. That's one of the things we talked about last, uh, or it wasn't last week, it was just Saturday. (laughs) uh, Saturday with our deacon's workshop, that the way that we can serve, uh, we can do it more than just with lip service. We want to be able to do that in actionable ways. And so the church in Philippi was able to show their concern for Paul in a very actionable way by providing this gift for his needs. And he wasn't saying in any way that they were delinquent, In their bringing this to them, he notes that they were always caring for him, but now they had opportunity. And in this, we see that the Lord does provide opportunity for them and also for us to show our love and care for someone in a practical way. And sometimes that is in a a material blessing to someone. Um, But it, it can be done in a number of different ways. So he's not finally able to have joy because of the gift. We shouldn't take it to mean this. But now he is having joy that they are able to express it and show it to him. Paul, we know material things did not make him happy. Material things did not bring him this kind of joy. It is a joy that he found in the Lord. In Philippians 4, 16 through 17, we, he also gives evidence as what also brings him joy. It says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit That increases to your credit. So Paul was looking ahead at this, that they were going to get blessing from being able to do this to Paul. It's a two-way street in the way that the the blessings, the things that we do for others and serving and caring for them, that those might be returned to us. And we're going to talk about that Next week, as we get further into those verses, so I'll leave it at that. But Paul is, is seeing more than just the financial side of this, more than just the material side of a blessing that they're sending to him. But he is also saying the fruit that increases to your credit is also why he is finding joy in this gift. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. So, here in verse 11, at the start of it, Paul is saying it isn't about the physical gift. That is nice, it's well appreciated. You may be able to call this a a, a thank you note that is inserted by Paul in all of this theological richness and in talking about the things of God. Now he's expressing his thankfulness for it, his gratefulness. But Paul wanted them to know that his contentedness was not found, um, was found, I'm sorry, only in the faithfulness of God towards him. That was where his contentedness was found. Not that I am speaking of being in need. But he is looking now to the God who supplies all of his needs in Christ Jesus. He says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So verse 11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. The key word here, I think, for us is Paul has learned. In trials is opportunity for character development. We may say that that is the soil, the trial soil from which overcoming things of God will be produced. The joy that we're able to have in Him regardless of the circumstance. The contentment that Paul is speaking of here, the peace, the love that we possess is strengthened, is developed through these times of trial. If you turn to James chapter 1 with me, I think we'll see how James writes it here, and some of you probably already know where I'm going with this. James says in chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, our Christian growth Happens through the trials. That's where it is strengthened. That's where it is matured and nurtured. This joy, this contentedness that Paul is speaking of is not something that is natural, that you're just born with this natural joy that you possess and is certainly not circumstantial because Paul is not in good circumstances here, but it is learned. He says, I have learned to be content. It's the process that begins in us at salvation. The Holy Spirit's work is to sanctify us, to grow us in our knowledge of who God is, to grow us in that experiential relationship with the Father through the Son, growing us in the attributes that are the characteristics of Christ. When we pray, we we pray often that He mold us, that He shape us more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, to His glory. And that molding and that shaping is us learning, in all circumstances like Paul, learning this contentedness and that the best soil for this growth is the trials. It is the the suffering that we will experience. We are not immune from those things as believers. In fact, those who know him, those who are in a saving relationship with the Father will most certainly experience trials and sufferings along the way. And Paul will now describe the range in which he finds his contentedness. If you look now at verses 12 through 13, he says there, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul is describing here how he has everything and there's been a time in his life where he's had everything, and then there has also been times where he has had nothing. He's been rich, and he has been destitute, and he spans the full range from the top to the bottom. And he gives us you know, multiple phrases here to kind of paint this image of that span through which like various emotions and in his walk in life that he has experienced. In verse 12, I know how to be brought low. To, to his low estate. I had reference a passage in Acts where after Paul was converted and he went out and shared the gospel that the persecution was so severe there that they wanted to take him and they wanted to stone him and kill him, and they had to drop him down by a bucket over the city walls just to preserve his life. And here he was this high and, and very mighty Pharisee at one time, and now he had resorted to being brought low. In a bucket outside the city walls, so you could certainly say he went from high to low in a very quick order. But this is what Paul has been through. He says, "I know how to abound, and in every and every in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret facing plenty and facing hunger. Refrigerator full of food. If they had refrigerators back then, he didn't have any wants as far as his physical needs were concerned, and now." He can say that he's been through the hunger part of this as well. And abundance and need. So all three of these phrases are saying to us that his happiness, his joy is not essentially in any of these things. Our true joy, if we want true and lasting joy, if that's what we're seeking after, it's not going to be had in any of those things, those worldly things. None of that is essentially the foundation of our joy. Paul is saying none of this was essentially the foundation of his joy. He's had it all. He's had highs and he's had lows and he's had everything in between. And in any and every circumstance, he was learning to be content. He had learned to be content. And when we do evaluation here, we ask ourselves in any and every circumstance, are we learning to be content? Our culture is built on crafting into us a discontentment. I mean that's what marketing strategies are designed around is your discontentment. And I think it's apt that we're bringing it up at this time of year because this seems to be the time uh, where our consumerism is really exposed to us. You know, what what can we get? The next best, latest and greatest thing that will fill this vacuum that we have within us to try and satisfy, to try to bring some semblance of happiness into our lives. And so it comes up with the next best thing to beat the old thing that was once new. It's no longer new anymore. I mean, I'm not going to try to point any fingers, but that iPhone that they keep on rolling out new, newer and newer versions of it. Samsung's the same way if you're an Android person. You know, I'm not letting you off the hook as well because I'm just as guilty. It's like, wow, man, that one can take three pictures in two milliseconds or something like that. We have to always go on to the next best thing. That's our consumerism when it gets exposed. I I need this. I want this. I have to have this to satisfy me. They want to exploit the world. The enemy, the God of this world, wants to exploit your discontentment with the old and turn you on to the new and shiny thing, the things that we're attracted to with the, the physical sight, I think it was last week or week before last in our kids' message when Lot and Abraham were standing before the valley and he gave Lot the choice of the land to choose. And what did he choose? He looked only with his physical eyes, lush green valleys, like, that's what I want. And what did he choose? He chose Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know what became of them. And Lot, or Abram, trusted in God to bring him um, the promise and whatever the land looked like physically, he didn't care. He knew that God was working a promise through him. But we are just like Lot sometimes, that attraction with only the physical sight, the things that are new, the things that are shiny, uh, attractive, and appealing to the eyes. 1 John two fifteen sixteen 16 describes this very well here. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. This recognizes, this verse here, that we are consumption-driven. We want to consume and consume, but things still leave us empty. It's been that way from the beginning. I mean, the attraction, the eyes, and the fruit... That was supposed to give them all this knowledge and wisdom of God. And what did it bring? It brought only suffering and pain and death in a physical sense. So we need God to restore us. And it's okay to have the things of this world. And I think this is in my notes when we covered this in 1 John. But don't let the things of the world have you. The things of the world have you if that's where you're finding your contentment. That's where you're finding your happiness. And your wholeness. And I think you know, if you've lived a, you know, a life here, I would say 10 plus years, I remember back to some of the things in, in my life when I was younger and I just wanted that, that thing for Christmas and I thought that gift was just going to make me happy and maybe about three or four days into it, I was already bored and now I needed something else. That consumerism is crafted into us at a very early age, that seed of corruption that the enemy uh, Sows within property vehicles, technological devices, devices, experience, experiences, you know concerts, those kinds of things, the jobs that we have, even our relationships. if my contentment is found in those things, then it really isn't contentment at all, not a biblical, true contentment it 's the doctrine of man that our culture wants to press in on us, and we need to always walk around with eyes wide open, spiritual eyes wide open to these things, but particularly during this time of year where just those bombardments are continually coming after. This contentment Paul is talking about stands in direct opposition to this. Through the span of all the experiences that Paul is describing here, that of having much, that of having little, that he had learned true contentedness. That it didn't matter where he was within that range of experiences in this life and of circumstances that he had learned in all those things to have contentedness. I think in, since this says to us, I'm not grasping for things that God has not given, but I am pleased to treasure and hold on to the things that he has in his graciousness given to me. We are gifted by his grace and salvation, but then we are also blessed and having the families that we have that surround us we are blessed in having a church family that we can gather with and have fellowship with and worship our Lord and Savior together there are those things that he has given us let us take delight in them let us find our contentment in the things that he has given us and not reach out and try to grasp the things that he has not in order to try to find contentedness paul writes in romans 8:28 we know that all things work together for the good of those who love god who are called according to his purpose Paul doesn't say that those all things are pleasant for us. He doesn't say in this passage in Philippians that this contentedness that's found in all things, that he found all those things just pleasantness to him. All things are not promised to be feel-good experiences. No, all things is all things. It's from abounding to being low. It's from being hungry to having plenty. It's from experience the death of a loved one to seeing new life brought forth in a newborn child, it's in all of these circumstances that we can find true contentedness. God has an ultimate purpose in the all things that we experience in this life and that they are working together for good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And here in Philippians, Paul would say, and in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Those are the all things that Paul had walked through that he had experienced. And because Philippians 4.13 is so misapplied in many of our churches today, it is so vital that we understand that verse in the context of these verses that have come before I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Many years back, um, Jody and I were at some kind of conference, I think. It was an event, and it was one of those where they had probably some famous bands come up, and you know they, they just work you up into an emotional lather, and then they have this really charismatic speaker come out. They're very gifted at speaking and teaching, and you know got us worked up emotionally. And one of the things that I remember leaving there with is he said, when you come up to an obstacle in life, you just need to Philippians 4.13 it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like, if if it's any challenge, it's anything that you're trying to overcome in the workplace, at home, you just need a Philippians 4.13 it. And that was something that really stuck with me. And at the time, being very spiritually immature, I was like, wow, I'm going to fasten myself to that. I'm going to claim that as my life verse, and this will get me through any circumstance in life. It's like me saying if I were to maybe have some people bring a weight bench in here and load it up with like 400 pounds and say, well, hey, uh, Ray, let's have a competition here. I think you can Philippians 4.13, this 400 pounds, and I'm not even going to give you a spotter here, but you can do it because you're going to claim this verse over it. And that's, that's sort of the view that I had of this verse. That probably that would have crushed me. I know for sure that would have crushed me. There's no way I could get that much weight up. But that is, that is how I treated this verse at a time in my life. And I just you know, wanted to claim it over every, everything that I, I had or the adversities. And needless to say, I was quickly disappointed <laughs> uh, in that it wasn't just this magic cure that gave me a physical victory over everything that I thought it should. It wasn't, you know, getting me over my sicknesses and miraculously curing my sicknesses. And there are probably many who claim this as their life verse and use it in that way today, you know, even likening it back to the Old Testament saying, you know, you're David and then those circumstances are Goliath. Well, no, I'm, I'm not David. <laughs> and that's not what the, the Bible is really teaching us there. But let me reread the preceding verses again that lead into this verse that is so popular and so misused. The secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I added the and in there, sorry. There's a period after abundance and need, and then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So out of that context that precedes this very popular verse for overcoming every kind of circumstance that hits us in life, Paul is describing this range of circumstance that he has walked through, that he has experienced in a very real sense in his life. And from the highs to the lows, that in those he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. He can be content in whatever situation because Christ strengthens him through the ups and through the downs of life. There is an upholding and a strengthening ministry of Christ in him, and that is why he can have contentment in all of those things. And that is Philippians 4.13. It's the sanctifying work of the Spirit within Paul to learn the contentedness through all of that. It's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in all of our trials and all of our experiences from the highs and the lows that we're learning to be content through all of those things. The error here is to say as though the only side to be considered in all things through Christ who strengthens me is just the abounding things, just the things that are high, just in the times of plenty. That's where we've experienced Christ's strengthening. That's how Christ has strengthened us, and that's why we're experiencing those things, and that's not what we're seeing here. The all things is to be brought low or to abound. It's to have plenty. It's to also hunger. It's in the abundance and need. We could phrase it like this, I can hunger through him who strengthens me. I can be brought low through him who strengthens me. And as I was writing my notes, I didn't know I was going to have a a little poetic statement here, but this is just Owen. (laughs) Not always to abound is where Christ's strengthening is found. So, I don't know if it makes sense here, but not always to abound is where Christ's strengthening is found. Because we tend to think that, you know, when we're going through good experiences... When we're filling those times of plenty, when we're abounding, when we're on the mountaintops, well, God is with us. Christ is in me. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. And then when we're in the valleys and when we're in the lows and when we're hungering and when we're in need and we're feeling physically oppressed, maybe even sick, and then we don't think so much about, you know, he's with me. But he's with us always through all of those things. And that's where we can find contentedness in knowing he is faithful he is sovereign. He is omniscient. He is present everywhere, present in us. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The thing that the Lord strengthens Paul to do is to be content, and it's why Paul could say just a few sentences before this, as Ray taught on last week, that we're not to be anxious for anything. I can be free of anxiety when I remember and am reminded of how good God is to his children and how he gives them exactly what they need. In that Matthew chapter 6, one of those life verses, I guess you could say for me, are passages that do not be anxious for anything. That's what Ray taught on last week. But do not worry about tomorrow or be anxious for tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. And each day has enough troubles of its own. Just know that he is supplying us with our needs that He's giving us our daily bread, and that is what we are to be content in. It isn't precisely the fact that we have God as our Heavenly Father through the forgiveness of sins that means that we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious for anything because the Lord is faithful and He has purpose in the all things. I'm not grasping for things that God has not given me, But I am pleased to treasure and hold on to the things that he has in his graciousness given to me. And of greater, uh, no greater gift than his son Jesus Christ. And a relationship with the Father through him of greater worth than anything is our salvation. In chapter 3, you know, Paul, there he spoke of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus his Lord that he would say that all the things that he had as a Pharisee, as a, uh, what does he say, a Pharisees of the Pharisees, that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, that he possessed all these things, that was probably, to him in a worldly sense, he was abounding there. But then he looked back on all of it, now after his conversion and knowing Christ, he said, all that's rubbish, now that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and becoming like Him in His sufferings, even to the point of death. There Paul describes that range too. Here he's given us that span of the highs and the lows, and there he's like, I want to identify with Christ now in that high of the resurrection power within me to the lows of even in that the suffering and death. I think there may be some comparison to be made there, but that's just maybe my, uh, my philosophy on it. That's, that's not from the Word itself. So, if I'm to have any joy... Any contentment or peace in my life that is found through all the situations, then it must start with a relationship. I must know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And maybe, maybe it is that your relationship is to the things of this world. As I think this causes us to evaluate, it certainly has with me, as I've thought about the things that I possess. And maybe how much I treasure those things in my life, even over the the things of God. Am I doing this? Is my relationship really to the things of the world? And so after thinking about this, maybe you've discovered that you're really discontent. And you are looking for the world to fill the God-shaped void that is in your life and being as created beings that we are image bearers of God and so even though we are corrupt and sinful that there is still that residue of God that creates that longing for something but in our sin nature we try to fill it we try to consume all of these things of this world in hopes that that void will somehow be filled and now we'll be complete and whole in that new truck or in that new relationship in our life or whatever it is that we look to in this world to try to fill it. I think Solomon at the end of his life, recognizing these things, if anybody had it all, it was King Solomon. By comparison to today's standards, the richest man that probably ever lived in this world. He had so much wealth, you know, that yeah, he could not outlive it for sure, but in Ecclesiastes here at the end of his life, he's reflecting on all these things that he had that he calls under the sun things. You know, this is not over the sun, this is not the things of eternal, eternity, but he's talking about all that stuff under the sun. He says this multiple times, but in Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes 2.11, he says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind Nothing was gained under the sun. And we need to view those things this way too. Nothing is really truly gained under the sun. We go off searching for that feeling in all the things the world has to offer. But we need look no further than the salvation that is offered to us through Jesus Christ. In Him we find our hope. He can save you from the emptiness of trying to run down contentedness in material things or in relationships with others. There's a popular Christian song that I had sung a few times when I was much younger, and it came to mind as I was putting together the closing notes here for this morning. And I had to, I think it was my junior or senior year, I'd been invited to sing at this company party. I don't know what company it was. It may have been ConocoPhillips. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I know they're well represented here. That's why I've got to pick on them. But... (laughs) No, I don't know if they were even <laughs> even a company back then but I was invited to sing at this this company event and you know back then you just couldn't go to the karaoke YouTube and and have any song I only had a few tapes that I had and I sang a lot of country music back then but I remember hearing a song that one of my friends had sung at a competition show and I thought I'm going to sing that song there and I just you know I got to fill the void here I've got 15 minutes to sing I'm going to sing this song and it was a Christian song, and it's what I ended with and I remember after singing the song is the last song that all the the happiness and the joy just kind of left the room and i thought man i I don't know what I just did i I must have performed really terrible because uh the you know, it was drinking and merriment, you know, like you see at these parties. And then it's just like I threw a wet blanket on everything, and I kind of packed up my stuff, and I walked out, and this lady followed me out, and she said, I want you to know that was very courageous of you to come and sing that song here for our group. And, of course, you know, being, I was very young and immature, and and I wasn't really thinking about the words that I had sung. I was just like, I, I like that song, and I just thought I would sing it. And <laughs> But it sucked the life out of the party, and I began to think about the words of the song, I guess I hadn't considered it, but it was, a, it was a song by Steve Green, some of y'all might know him, and it was called The Chasing of the Wind. And I'm just going to read a few of these, uh, a little bit of this lyrics for you here. All achievements, all possessions, all with time return to dust. Only God can be our reason for deep and quiet trust. He will guard us from the dangers that gladly make men fools. Apart from him and all his meaning, all things fail as they begin, and hearts deceived can only know a chasing of the wind, a chasing of the wind. And so I began to understand what it was that I had said that had caused such a depression to set, settle upon the room, the the somberness, but I mean, I guess maybe that, that was a good thing. Maybe it caused some people to think, but... Uh, I didn't realize it at the time, and I probably, I really need to hear this often in my life still today, but when we put our faith in Christ as our Savior, we repent of our sin, He comes and He indwells us by His Holy Spirit, and in Him is where we find that true spiritual life, where we find true contentedness. He begins the process of sanctifying us in Him and growing us in a Christ-like character that includes contentedness. That includes the the joy, the peace, and the love that he has for us. Teaching us true contentedness that we now, through him, have the capacity to know this, to understand it, and to experience it through all things that Christ brings us through. He upholds us through. Don't keep chasing the wind. Be made whole in Christ today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you and have a joy that rises up above the circumstances to have a contentedness that overcomes. But it is only found in a relationship with you. And for all of us who are here today, that maybe we know you, God, in an experiential way, that we have received you as our Lord and Savior, but still we get trapped into this consumer mindset that we go after the things of this world and maybe finding some semblance of contentedness and knowing that It is not found there. So thank you for the reminder that this is to us who are yours. And God, for anyone that does not know you this morning, just help them to know that all the things in this life, the chasing after the next latest and greatest thing to try to bring some fulfillment, some sense of joy into their life, is just like Solomon described. It's a chasing after the wind. And that's wisdom to us, God. Your word is wisdom to us. God, thank you for bringing us the greatest gift that we could ever have, and that is a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, your one and only Son. And we thank you for him. We celebrate him. We know that that's where our true peace and contentedness is found in this life. As we get ready to share in the Lord's Supper together, Lord, may we be reminded of these things as Christ would tell us, do this in remembrance of him. And all that he undertook for us before the cross and going to the cross, and bleeding and dying for us for the forgiveness of our sins and overcoming the grave and giving us this victory that we have in him in the spiritual sense. Lord, we love you. We are so thankful. And we just stand in all of you. In Jesus' name, amen.